0: Welcome to the Working Moms podcast, featuring inspiring stories and resources for the modern working mom. I'm your host, Pamela Moss, estate planning attorney, mom, and owner of Law Mother. All right. So today's guest is Dr. Krista Olson, MD. She is an OBGYN and she is the founder of True Life MD. Thank you so much for being here today. So
1: great to see you again, Pam. It's been too long.
0: It is. It's so great to see you. And we're going to be talking today about losing weight for the last time. And I wanted to kind of start with your background and why this is an important topic for you.
1: So, Pam, this is this topic that I never, ever would have identified myself in life as moving forward and being someone who actually owns it. Um, it, Weight, being a little overweight, it was like, I felt like it was part of my DNA my mom had always struggled with weight. Um, You know, from the time I was little, my brothers had called me all these chubby names, you know, never was like obese, but never quite where I wanted to be. So it was always that thing in the front of my mind, maybe caused some self-confidence issues in high school, college. And then after college, you know, I would like train for a marathon and kind of get down into a normal weight, but it was always a struggle. I always was thinking, how do I keep that weight off? And it was, then it got into trying like an Adkins and then I would try like the weight watchers app, but I didn't want to talk to anyone about it because I was also this very driven person that whatever I wanted to do, I could figure out how to make it work. Um, and it, it was always like kind of this just quiet nagging voice. And I never had a peaceful relationship with food and fast forward. Um, You know, I went through med school and residency and made partner in my group. Along the way, I had some bumps. Um, You know, I got married, divorced, my husband passed away. Um, I lost a partner to murder. I went through infertility. It was like a lot of stressful things. And what I ended up finding was food actually became what I used to cope for things. And until I really figured that out, I would always refer to my family or my husband, and I'd say, you know, I've got this perfect life, but I just have, I I just can't lose weight. Well, what I ended up figuring out is I was using food to numb some of the discomfort in my life. So almost three years to the day sitting right in the seat. I was um, kind of opened up to how, like a different way to do this, right? Because why weren't all these programs working for me? So there was another physician that learned how to harness this and really figure out how to change your brain. Like how do we change our relationship with food so that we can lose weight? So I was about 240 pounds um, three years ago and it just became this thing that I could think through and I could realize, oh, no food was bad. This really was just how I was using it versus how I was fueling myself and to realize there was no perfect system. And how could I create what worked for me? So that was sort of my journey with it. And what I've been able to do is harness it. And now it's just permanent weight loss, which is amazing.
0: That is amazing. And there's so many things that you kind of said that I wanted to kind of pull out there. And the first is, which I know a lot of people probably listening has have dealt with is kind of the fad diets or kind of this approach of going and being hard yeah. and really breaking free from that. And so did you have, was it an aha moment? Was it, did it happen overnight or did it take time to kind of get away from that and move to something different?
1: Yeah. I mean, what it took was me having tried several of those programs and having been successful. And then the weight comes back and sometimes even more, and then it created that sense of failure. See, this isn't for me. I'm just meant to be overweight. My family's overweight. Right. And it reprogrammed that thinking into my brain. Mm -hmm. And then what I was able to really do is say, okay, like this has to be possible. How could this be possible? And up until that point, up until learning how life coaching and thought management worked with my weight, I was creating almost this cognitive dissidence. I had these thoughts in my brain, like, well, I'm not meant to be thin, you know, my family's program, but I'm going to only eat fat and protein. <laughs> like I, you know, or like I will run two hours a day, you know? And so it was like, I was supposed to be doing all these things, but I had no cognitive connection to it to make it happen. And that my friend is where willpower is. And what I would realize, and that's why with the programs, like, okay, I would do great for a week or two weeks or when I was really successful, you know, a month or six months, I would be able to keep that up. And then something would happen, right? Right maybe I would start a new rotation or something stressful would happen. And then I would return back to using food and I would just rebuild evidence why permanent weight loss
0: wasn't for me. And, you know, when you kind of mentioned there for a moment, you talked about how there's kind of this difference between permanent weight loss and short-term weight loss. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the bridge that you're describing is thought work or life coaching. And for people who are not familiar with that. Right. Or think it's just positive thinking. Yeah. How do you really explain that? Like, what is it exactly?
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, when you first start scratching the surface, people are like life coaching. I don't know. That sounds a little crazy. And you just like, you're just going to think yourself happy. That's actually kind of how I used it right away. Right. Like, oh, I can just change my thinking and then my life's going to be amazing. Right. Right. But what, what what thought work is, or what life coaching is, is for you to take a circumstance in life. So for me, it was this numerical value on my scale. And I had such thoughts about what that meant about me as a person, right? It's really just my gravitational pull on the earth. And once I started working through that and really approaching that over months, this isn't something that just happens overnight, but I started realizing like, oh, I want to lose weight. I've been trying things and I'm not getting the results I want, right? So then I was like, I need to take a different approach. And so what I loved about life coaching and thought work with weight is, yes, there's science to help you lose weight. And I can, you know, we can talk a little bit about that, about some of the basics. Um, But that science is only going to get you so far because when you are fatigued, when you are stressed... When you are uncomfortable, most of us have these neurological thought loops or habits, habitual patterns that we go to. For some of us, it might be overspending, social media, drinking. For me, it's refined foods. It was like chocolate bars in the butler's pantry, right? I mean, or, you know, stopping at a pastry shop with a coffee and something and eating in my car because I was shameful about it, right? So it was really figuring out okay, what's the science? How do we then start supporting ourselves and understanding that what we believe is what's gonna make things happen and that's choice. So really thoughtfully propagating that and keeping myself accountable. And then the other real key pieces is, is life happens. Like maybe something happens and you do something you didn't plan for or, or you, know, you, you ate a food you didn't intend to or the weight slowed down. How do you not utilize shame and guilt in your life, but how do you utilize what I call grace, which is able to sit back and look at yourself as a really great friend would and talk to yourself like, okay, Krista, that's okay. I guess I didn't go quite the way we wanted. How can we thoughtfully propagate a different option for the future? How can we look at that and learn from it? Because apparently I didn't win in that situation. And Pam, that was never the voice I used before. I mean, before, and I think for most of us, you know, I mean, excuse the way I'm going to rephrase this, but I was a complete bitch. And I think most of us are to ourselves. We talk to ourselves in a way that we would never talk to anyone else. Like, oh, there you go again. So you can't do this. You're incapable of it. I can't believe you did that. You said you wouldn't do that. You know, you'll just start again tomorrow. We'll just try again, you know? So how do we propagate
0: this thinking to support ourselves? And you kind of mentioned a few things there. And, you know, one is the cycle of, you know, going to food Mm -hmm. to not feel things or to deal with stress. And then there's another choice besides food. So first it sounds like it's a realization, right? Because many of us don't even make that connection that we are emotional eaters, right? We don't think we are. We, a lot of, there's so much in society, right? That says that, you know, we should be having high sugary things every time we see people. And, um, so it sounds like part of it is just the awareness Mm -hmm. up front and then kind of shifting to a different way of handling that. And is that where kind of that thought work that you're describing kind of comes in? Exactly. So just that
1: awareness of just saying, Oh yeah, that's interesting. I guess I always reach for those things, you know, between three and 8 PM when I'm more tired. Oh, fatigue makes me want that more. Oh, when the kids are nagging. For me as a physician, and this was actually, I mean, like programmed into us in training is like, well, you never know when you're gonna eat again while well, you're stuck here on call. You deserve that, get that. You know, no one else has to do this kind of stuff. You have a cookie. You need deliver like trays of cookies to us in the middle of the night in residency, right? Um, so it just became so programmed. And then to have that reality of like, oh, we as humans search out refined sources of dopamine. Dopamine is a neurochemical that makes you feel good. Like literally when we run children through an MRI scanner and adults, you give children their lovey, you know, they're feeling scared. They want to hug that lovey. They light up the same pleasure centers as we do with alcohol, food, drugs, online shopping. So it's not, and it's very socially acceptable, right? I mean, you don't go to someone's house that's grieving and bring them a fresh, fresh veggie tray. I'm guessing, right? You're usually like, here's some homemade pasta and some brownies on the side. (laughs) You know, these refined things because it is emotional eating, it's comforting. It bumps your dopamine, it makes you feel better. So realizing that in the short term, you can bump dopamine because, you know, you're feeling really uncomfortable. It numbs it, it makes you feel better. So alcohol, food, drugs, all those things we named. Or you can choose to just kind of either, one of things, two things feel a little bit of discomfort for a little bit because newsflash humans do feel discomfort and we can't get rid of it. It's kind of there. Now it doesn't mean you have to be in the suck all the time. Right? So there are options too. If you start doing this and you start realizing that there's just a common thought that's propagating it. For me, one of those things used to be called. and be like, Oh my God, I have call. This sucks. You know, and so I would stop at Starbucks and I would get like the mocha and a few things from the bakery, put some, you know, I mean, all these things, right. Cause I deserved it and call sucks, but now, you know, what I realize is after I've done thought work on it and I can really sit back and be curious about it and change my thought patterning. Yeah. I guess it is time for me to be away from my family, but you know what? It's kind of nice to have some time that I'm not around my kids. And when I'm on call, I get to do all of the things that I love. I get to do emergency surgery. I get to do deliveries. I get to talk to patients who really need me. And so just by doing a little bit of that work, and w- you know, I did this with all kinds of things in my life, and I do it with my clients that way as well, is now I'm able to just finesse the way I process the information a little bit more so it's not so uncomfortable, right?
0: Yeah, it's, it's like we have built up in our head that it's going to be so uncomfortable and that we need- this thing to get through it. And what you're kind of even just describing is when you've actually looked back and then it's, it's easier to think of, like, when you think of alcohol, right. When you think of like binging on alcohol, Mm -hmm. it's that short-term fix and you feel like crap the next day. It's kind of like the same thing with, with, you know, binging on sugar, (laughs) you have that short-term joy, but then you feel like crap the next day. So I feel like the thought that might be coming up for some people listening to this is like, okay, well, so am I never supposed to enjoy food? Am I, is, is food not supposed to be pleasurable? Like where, where is yeah, that? That's a
1: good question. And I mean, some of us might even find this with like maybe, you know, online gambling or like shopping too much. Right. I mean, we all do things, whatever those things, some, for some of us, we use it as something that we think is really healthy, like actually over-exercising. Right. Mm -hmm. So you can go to anything for this. And then that's exactly what ends up coming up when we start working at it. People are like, so I'm never going to enjoy food again. No. Did I ever say that? (laughs) And I always remind people, I'm like, we are humans. Life is supposed to be full of joy and pleasure, and we're supposed to really enjoy it. Right. And believe you me, I'm probably one of the biggest foodies out there. I mean, I still... I love eating, but now I eat in a very thoughtful, planned way. So like, there's a, my big thing is sweets. Right. And there's a couple of pastry shops in town that I love. Like I scavenged Paris two years ago when we went there. (laughs) That's all I did was look for (laughs) pastry shops, but I had planned. I can have this many items on these days. Right. Right. And it's just like work around alcohol. So a lot of my clients are like, I don't want to stop drinking. I just want to be able to control my drinking or to have a better relationship with it and use it in a purposeful way. You know, I don't want to stop online shopping. I just don't want to feel like I've spent more than I intended. I don't want to completely withdraw from social media, but you know what? At the end of the day, my phone's telling me I've been on it for two and a half hours, right? So how we change that? is by saying, oh, you do enjoy that. That's totally fine. So let's just thoughtfully plan. Let's make decisions ahead of time for how we want to enjoy it in our lives and then sit with it and totally enjoy it. Right. Cause if I look at it now, I'm like back in the day, like I'm, I was eating all the totally disgusting pastries with like all these yucky fat, trans fats and, dah, 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 and just like shoving them in. Right why don't I plan it on a Saturday morning or a Tuesday afternoon or something where I have this amazing cup of coffee in this beautiful setting or sitting in the sunshine with a book and love it. Enjoy it. So enjoy your food, enjoy your social media, enjoy, get an amazing glass of wine and enjoy it. Don't use food, use social media, use alcohol, right? So it all of these things are meant to be enjoyed. It's just, we have to put the frontal cortex or the really propagating thinking adult part of us in charge acknowledge that there's this part of our brain that literally wants pleasure. It doesn't want pain and it wants it fast. And that's what's created our habits and just write them say, Oh, I understand you're tired. You're under your rope. It's so easy. It's five o'clock. Let's just have a glass of wine. And then it's three, or let's just have, you know, cheese and crackers and nuts before dinner, and then chocolate after dinner. Right. So it's just, it's really creating a construct that works for you and understanding that as humans, we were meant to evolve. We search out dopamine, but life
0: is still supposed to be enjoyed. So we just have to structure ourselves and think about it. And you mentioned that there's a kind of a science component too. So Mm -hmm. there's the the mind component that we've been talking about. And then there's a science that comes that enters into it. And how do how does that play a role?
1: Yeah. And this I would say, you know, just as we evolve as humans, as you evolve with your work, around food or if it's around alcohol or shopping, we evolve in how it manages. Um, you know, just as when children are learning to walk, <laughs> you make it as safe as possible. You only let them walk in certain places. You put tennis balls on the corners, right? Cause they don't know how to handle it. And they're building that strength. They're building that resilience that every time they fall down, they know how to get up better. Right? So that's what we do at the beginning with, with food and, um, and, uh, our relationship with it. So what we know in science is there's kind of two things and there's quite a bit of published data. There's, um, something called insulin. Insulin is that hormone that allows you to take blood sugar into your cells. And a lot of us think like, Oh, I need to count calories. I need to expend more calories than I consume. I actually have you get completely rid of calories and points and you don't need to count things. So what we know is insulin is actually almost like a thermostat of where your weight set point is. And so the more refined the food is that you eat, the more your insulin spikes, because the more your blood sugar spikes. And if you try to take in too much blood sugar, the insulin goes way up. And if you have too much available energy, it immediately stores it as fat. Okay. The more refined the food is, the more the insulin spikes. Insulin index is similar to glycemic index, not exactly the same, but it gives you a key into it. So if you want to start looking at glycemic index, that can help. And every time you spike your insulin, your body's like, "Ooh, extra energy stored as fat. Mm, Extra energy stored as fat. Mm, Extra energy stored as fat." So we're very efficient. We store all this extra energy that's sitting there. Well, it is. We don't access actually stored nutrition in our body or stored fat adipose until our insulin is low. So what we need is we need insulin deplete episodes to go into our body and burn these fat reserves. So thus also comes in the fact of intermittent fasting. Like how do we have our eating episodes less close together, right? And how do we spike our insulin less? So how do we spike it less often and less high? So what I oftentimes start with my clients with is we purposely try to constrain on flour and sugar for a set period of time so that we don't spike it as high, but you eat all the foods. You just don't eat refined foods, like eat grains Eat fruits and vegetables and fats and meats and dairy, like eat it all. I usually have you start with three lovely meals. Feed your body. We are meant to eat. Just don't snack in between, right? Even just by making those shifts, we see huge changes and we start working on thought processing, right? And then what we do is there's actually, if any of you want to read, it was almost exactly a year ago, New England Journal of Medicine, December 26th, two thousand. 19, there was a lovely meta-analysis review, which a meta-analysis is where they take all kinds of um, medical research. And they came out with this evidence for intermittent fasting. If I could not find a more compelling article for you of how do you make your lifestyle your medicine and not medicine your lifestyle, that would be it. I mean, they go over, if you really look at it, all of the positive benefits. And they really stratified it into two intermittent fasting protocols. One, you could do like a 16-8 or an 18-6, which is where you eat all of your food in like eight to six hours a day. And then you don't eat during the 16 to 18 hours a day. Or they also did one which was called a 5-2, which is you eat you fast, or you have prolonged fast for five days, and then you eat for kind of two days a week. So they kind of looked at, but you can make your own. We just need to get these insulin deplete episodes, evidence, decrease in metabolic disease, like diabetes, heart disease, depression, osteoarthritis, significant decrease in neurocognitive, like Alzheimer's dementia. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And so there's great evidence for it. And I think you get to try, you get to decide what works for you. That's, what's lovely. And then we keep, we keep tinkering with it and seeing what works best for your body.
0: So, um, I will definitely get that link and I'll put it in the show notes for the people that are listening. Um, but it's part of it. It sounds like, is you're kind of getting your biology in the right place. You're getting your body working efficiently. And once you do that, then you can start working on what are the thoughts that are coming up. Exactly. So what we do is we just get really specific about, okay,
1: let's just turn on the science. And while we're turning on the science, now let's start exploring the thoughts that are coming up and how urges come up and why do they come up and when do they come up and how do we handle them? There's also a really good book called the obesity code. And I would highly recommend anyone reads that as well. It's by Dr. Jason Fung and he will also build you the evidence as to why as humans, we think we're supposed to eat this way. I'm just going to tell you, like out on the tundra hunt 400 years ago, I mean, were they eating almonds every two hours? No, they kind of had a kill like every day or two, or they would have a feast and then they wouldn't, they'd go on a caravan, right? We were not meant to eat every few hours. We just weren't, Right. We weren't meant to eat refined foods. I mean, they really didn't come into existence until the mid 20th century or the early 20th century that much. You know, I mean, look at photos where we see obesity or people of larger size and photos is starting in the sixties. It's when big food industry needed to sell more food. They lobbied the government to change the food pyramid. I mean, there's all this evidence that how we're being told to eat today is not how humans were constructed.
0: Oh, huh, that's interesting okay, well, maybe we think about it differently. Yeah. So if people are listening, it's, it sounds like the takeaways are, you know, make sure that you are eating foods that aren't processed because it sounds like those processed foods are what spikes your insulin. Um, and that kind of makes it that it's hard. It's hard to kind of overcome that even with your own willpower, right? Cause biologically you're just, your system's triggered. So getting your system to a good state with healthy foods. Yep. And then, you know, intermittent fasting is one tool that people can use to help with that.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then, and then thought work looking through what are your thoughts and how are you processing it? Yeah. Um, is that, is that a good summary of the takeaways great summary? Eat three meals a day.
1: Lovely. Mm-hmm. Don't eat in between. And when urges come up, you're thinking you need the candy bar or the chocolate. Are you really physically hungry? or are you emotionally hungry? And if you're emotionally hungry, why? And what is the difference? What is the difference between physically hungry and emotionally hungry hungry is you would actually sit down and you would eat anything out of your pantry. You would eat a can of green beans. You would eat a head of raw cabbage. Like you're just hungry. Your body just needs food. You'll always know when you're emotionally hungry, when you're craving something.
0: Mm,
1: I just need a brownie. I mean, do you ever crave like, I don't know, a cucumber? (laughs) No. (laughs) Right? Like I just had such a bad day. I just need one of those English cucumbers. It's amazing and it's gonna solve it all. (laughs) Right? But if you eat this meal of all these lovely prepared vegetables and proteins and fruits and whole grains, like you really feel satisfied afterwards. It's pleasing. It's just, it's not that thing you want in the moment.
0: And intermittent fasting for people who haven't heard that term, you know, you're describing kind of the, there's a lot of different ways to think about it, but what you're kind of describing is this three meals a day. Is there a certain amount of time period between when you should have the three meals or when the three meals should be?
1: Yeah. And I would just say the three meals a day probably isn't intermittent fasting, but it's a way for people just to, that don't believe in it or think that this is so hard. That's how I So I do a lot of this with my patients in clinic. And even after like three, four months, they're like, I'm 50 pounds down, Dr. Olson is, um, I always just tell them, start out, just like feed your body three times a day in a 20 minute episode. So don't, you know, eating a meal isn't two hours while you're watching a football game. It's like 20 minutes. You plan it all the night ahead of time. So write down what you're gonna eat. It doesn't have flour and sugar and you just don't eat or drink in between. Now, n- like nothing, not when I say sugar, I mean like not even artificial sweeteners. So no Splenda or Stevia or anything like that in between cause it will spike your insulin. So 100% pure fat in between is okay. So like coffee, my big thing is coffee with heavy cream is what I kind of live on. Um, and you just, you can have that. So once you start, you know, saying, oh, I do three meals a day and I'm just not feeling hungry in between. Oh, maybe I'll just like move breakfast to lunch and I just won't eat breakfast. And I just have coffee and cream in the morning, right? And so typically until you're getting about a 14 to 16 hour window where you're not eating, you probably aren't really getting many benefits of fasting. Okay. Yeah. So, and
0: it seems, it sounds like you're suggesting a progression.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, some of us are like totally in on it, jump right in, let's do it. But you're going to just realize if you're going to do that, the little voices and thought errors in your head are going to be much louder. (laughs) They're going to be like, no human is supposed to do this. You know, we're supposed to eat every two hours. No one else does this. I mean, look at them. They say we're supposed to eat a little bit. Everyone else, it's just Christmas. I'll just do it this one day and then we'll be back. Mm-hmm. It's a birthday, right? Do you see how those are just little thought errors and you can choose to think something different? It's just as you're trying to get through urges where you're you're used to using your food, they're going to be louder, right? So if people are like, I just want to tinker around with it. What if you just tried eating three times a day? Is that hard? You get
0: curious about it and try it. That's great. And, um, you know, before we sign off, I wanted to kind of check in with you. Um, I ask every person I interview, what is your legacy? What are you, what is the legacy that you are creating? I mean, I think my legacy truly
1: from the DNA of me is to be an advocate for women. So my number one calling is I am an OBGYN. And I never really thought that I wanted to deliver babies. I mean, no pun intended, but like vaginas weren't my thing. When I went into med school, I was like, this is what I want to do. I actually wanted to be like a hematologist oncologist or like a surgeon. I actually do a lot of surgery now. That's kind of one of my things. Um, but as I started going through training, I was like, I just love the relationship that I get to develop with my patients and how I get to tell them that they actually get to have control of their life, whether it's over their body, whether it's in their relationships, whether it's, with their thoughts, whether it's in their reproduction. And so I get to have that relationship with them. Then now as I'm coaching female physicians and other professional women in weight loss, I get to show them that they have the power even over their thoughts and their weight. And so many of these women are taking care of women. So if I can keep these women doing what they're doing professionally, it's exponential. So it's really to let women know you can live the life you want. And you get to decide what that is.
0: That is so powerful. Um, well, thank you so much for being on today, oh, Dr. Olson. And, and what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Who do you work with, both in your practice and your coaching, and where can people find you?
1: Yeah. So if you're in Minneapolis, St. Paul, I guess I have a lot of, cl- a lot of patients that actually fly in to see me too, but I'm an OBGYN specialist which is a part of eye health um, in Edina and Burnsville, Minnesota. And so I see all kinds of OBGYN issues. Um, and then globally, I guess you can find me at true Life MD, all one word, TrueLifeMD.com. I do mostly group coaching and I actually have a program launching January 11th for female physicians only. And then I do some um, professional one-on-one coaching for females as well, if they want more of a very customized experience with me one-on-one for weight loss or even working through other issues in life.
0: Great, thank you so much. Oh, so great to see you Pam.
1: And I can't wait for you to raise an amazingly powerful young woman in your life.
0: (laughs) Thank you. Hey mama, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Head over to my website, lawmother.com forward slash podcast, for all the show notes and links you heard in today's episode. You'll also be able to get access to my free legal tool for you to name legal guardians for your children to protect them and have that peace of mind. It's all right there at lawmother.com.